Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Data Career Podcast. I'm Avery Smith, and this is the podcast that you should listen to if you want to grow your data career. I'm going to get straight to it in this episode. We had an awesome guest. We had George Furikin on our show, and he talked about all things data management, data governance, business glossary, data catalog, kind of goes through the whole wheelhouse of what is data management and why is it important and how it can help us as data professionals. So we're going to go ahead and go straight into the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You guys can find George on LinkedIn, on YouTube as well. He has Lights on Data podcast as well as a YouTube channel. He also has some awesome courses that you can check out at lightsondata.com. I'll go ahead and throw some of those in the show notes. All right, let's get in the episode. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast. Here's your host, Avery Smith. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Data Career Podcast. I'm super glad to have you guys here and also very glad to have an awesome guest for you guys today. We got George Firkin from Lights on Data. George, welcome to the Data Career Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on. Yeah, I'm so glad to to have you here. It's been um uh, it's been a while since I've done a live show. I think it's been actually a month since I've done a, a live show All on right. LinkedIn. So I'm I'm glad that you're the person that's here to to come, you know, come back to LinkedIn live with me. So thank you for being willing to do this. Oh, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of your show. Hey, uh, me of yours too. Um, for those who don't know, I got a little bio here uh, for George. George Fierkin is an award-winning data governance leader, the founder of Lights on Data, and the director of data governance and business intelligence at the University of British Columbia. He's a great resource for the data community and someone definitely to follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, and check out Lights on Data as well. So George is a great resource to know and yeah, excited to get some knowledge out of him in the next hour. Appreciate that. Okay. So George, I want to start, and this is how I typically start podcasts, is hearing people's story about how they got into data. Um, because although it might be like kind of a basic question, everyone's journey is so different um, and they have a different story. And I was looking a little bit about yours. I mean, you don't necessarily have what people would consider maybe the traditional background. I mean, you mm-hmm. do. You have, a, you have a CS degree, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. But then you got into web development, it looked like for a while. I did. Yeah. I used to, at one point I used to develop WordPress sites and uh, like e-commerce sites, back end, front end. And that was fun. And then how, and, and fast then forward went, to today. <laughs> yeah. And then I kind of made a leap in more in the business side. So doing a bit of business analysis, project management. So trying to, I guess, make the bridge between the client and the development side. So that gave me a nice perspective onto you know the wants, the needs versus how things are being developed and try to make that happen. And I think it was actually during that time when I realized, you know what, data has a big impact on everything, on the reports, and then ultimately on the decisions that customers need to make based on the data that they gather, that they enter. And uh, I realized this is very important. So how can we handle that better? How can we just bridge the gap between the two and I realized there's a whole different industry there just focused on data management and data governance. And then, you know, I was surprised that it was so much bigger than I thought. And so many more people had, you know, same challenges that I was facing. So that really got me into this side of, of data management. And then, well, you know, the, the business intelligence reporting as well. 
as I kind of think it really goes well with it. Okay. So that's interesting. So you, you know, you're, you're more technical, but then you maybe had some more business oriented uh, roles where you were kind of like looking at reports um, and doing more of like high level analysis, maybe less, less technical work. But then you, you realized there was like all these issues with, with the data. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah. And, and the issues really came more from the people side rather than the technology. So it was more on the communication, more on understanding, more on convincing people that, okay, let's get on the same page here and, you know, say what we mean. Uh, when people say, you know, I want uh, the uh, KPIs on the customer. Well, depending who you talk to, even though they're in the same company, same department, they might actually mean different things. So that's one of the issues that companies are facing i think the uh when they talk about the verbiage the business language they don't all mean the same thing even though they might think that they do so there's all these assumptions going on but i mean that's just one facet there's so many other challenges and there's a lot of politics in it so yeah you know coming from a technical side now i have to deal with more political uh, pieces i think and a lot of communication a lot of change management as well so, so that's actually, that, that's actually interesting. Um, and we're going to, we're going to get more into this, uh, as the show goes on. Um, but like, let's just take that definition problem. So mm. like, like for instance, where, where, I guess, where are you calling from? I don't even know where you're stationed at. I'm in Vancouver, Canada here on the West coast. Okay. Vancouver, Canada. And like, for instance, I I'm in, uh, Salt Lake city, Utah. And so if like I say mountain, Okay. I just like mm-hmm. use the term mountain. What does the word mountain mean to you? Like what, what would define a mountain for George? Ooh, there'll be something over a thousand feet. Something over a thousand feet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I might say it's something over like 3000 feet. Like, I think that's kind of what you're talking about is like your definition for mountain and my definition for mountain might not be the same. And that could lead into a lot of issues, especially when it comes to like you know, communication and reporting, like when in business, you need to be very clear about what actually you're talking about. Like, okay, is a mountain 1000 feet is, is a, you know, a good sales day, a thousand sales, or is it 3000 sales? Uh, How do you like even prevent that? Like, how do you get people on the same page? Oh man. Well, you know, it all starts with an issue and then working backwards to try and understand, well, why did an issue occur? And then one of the, um, root causes is this communication problem. Actually, the calculation was done right. The data, the right data was used, transformed, exporting that report. But then you find out, well, it's not what the client wanted. It's what Mm. they said that they wanted, but that clarification wasn't made. It was kind of lost in the translation. Uh, So especially again, if, if people have different, different experiences working with the same data, Maybe that developer worked with a different client that asked for the same thing, but clarified it in different ways. And then when you go to the, your second client, well, you don't you don't go and confirm your assumption. You just think it's the same because, I mean, you work for a same company. Why why would it be different? But reality is it's different in so many ways. Uh, we, we just had a meeting uh, just a couple hours ago at work, and this is one of the things. The same uh, business terms were used in this dashboard, but actually the owner of this dashboard, the client, meant completely different things than what we had in our business glossary. So which was creating challenges, of course, depending who was looking at it through their own context, through their own assumptions, they would then interpret it differently. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want any interpretation, especially when we have you know, clean, good data 
let's take advantage of it and um, output what should be outputted. So, so you used a term there um, called business glossary. Um, that's actually kind of a new term to me. Um, and I, I kind of think I know what it means, but I'm not 100% sure. And I think you even have a course on this, right? I do, yeah. Okay. But, of, yeah, one of the courses. Okay, so I know you can't tell us all our secrets, but what what is the basic of a, a business glossary? So to me, it's it's this collection of business terms and their unique definitions and, you know, a bunch of other related information. So by the way, by business terms, I don't mean, you know, uh, you agree to the terms and conditions, but it's, again, the, the business verbiage is what is a customer? What is uh, cost per click? What is ASAP? So even acronyms, that's very helpful. I, I have yeah. a funny story about the ASAP, by the way. Um, which I'll tell you in a second. Yeah, so, so the business glossary, think of it as is comprised of these business terms, you know, this other interesting information uh, and useful information, which is stored in attributes. So again, things like what is a, what is a synonym? Who's the data steward for it? What system does it belong to? Uh, who's the owner? Last updated date, like all this maybe mundane things, but it's worth a recording for. It's things that really broaden or narrow the base terms meaning. Okay, and like, where where is that stored? Like, where where should people store that type of thing? Because it does seem useful, but like, how how do people store it, and how do you edit it, and that type of thing? I mean, there are dedicated tools for it. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, especially in the data governance space. Sometimes oh. they could be coupled with a data dictionary, and the data dictionary it's let it's sort of the um, the technical side of a business glossary, if you will. It's this repository of information about data that provides the description of a data element and it's metadata. Mm. So it's, you know, it's telling us, you know, how many characters does that field have? Uh, what are the restrictions? Is it primary key, foreign key? Everything that a developer would need to know in order to use that information properly, especially if you're uh, ingesting that data or having to transform, extract work with it in, in, in any way. Um, so it could be surfaced there as well. So sometimes there's link, linkages between a business glossary and a data dictionary, and a data dictionary also uh, holds that information in its own tool, usually have one data dictionary per database or system. Whereas with a business glossary, something more enterprise-wide, you kind of just have one for the entire enterprise. Or they could both surface in a data catalog uh, which is this, again, enterprise-wide asset that's kind of providing that single reference source for the location of your data sets in an organization. It's kind of like your your Amazon shopping cart of data sets that, you know, data scientists, data analysts, BI developers, anybody could use within the organization. And, and what's that one called? Sorry? The data catalog. Okay, so there's a data catalog, which is kind of like the the super one. It has a lot of things. A business glossary lists like a business term and what the accepted definition is. Um, but you also mentioned one other thing. I it was the data, data dictionary. Data yeah. dictionary. Which okay, gives and that's you those specifications about a field in a database, basically. Okay, so data dictionary describes the data. You have a business glossary. It tells you the different terms, and the catalog's kind of a combination of the two. Or is it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it could surface it too, but it also has other functionalities like your. As a data scientist, you could ask permission from the owners of that data set through the data catalog to use it. And then, you know, there's part of a review process. Think oh, of it wow. as, again, going to Amazon, looking for a book, 
Um, even though there's millions of books out there, you pretty much find what you're looking for. Same with the data catalog in an organization. I there's see millions of rows. But if you're looking for customer data, we'll give you, you know, all these tables contain customer data. Which one do you want to use? Do you want to use five of them? Okay, well, add them to your shopping cart, state a purpose. Probably some sort of a privacy security expert will go through it and say, yeah, George should be allowed to use it uh, for that purpose. So we're going to allow him to check it out um, and um, and use it. And then it comes with a bunch of metadata. It comes with, uh, you know, what's your data quality um, factor and score level in there? Uh, mm. Who's the data steward that maybe I could, I want to contact to find the context of how the data was collected and how is it being used? What assumptions am I making that I could confirm against uh, that metadata? And so a lot of useful, I think, information. Okay. And I guess who are some players, I guess, in the data catalog field? Does SAP have a, a product? They do. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a, all the big players do. Okay. Uh, like Informatica, SAP. Um, but, uh, IBM, uh, though there's some new newcomers on on the field as well that they're worth checking out for sure. Okay, interesting. This is such an interesting world because, you know, having been a data scientist at a really small company with ten people, uh, we didn't have any of this. Okay, I mean, there was really not that many people accessing the data. And to uh, be honest, a lot of companies, even big ones, and I can't name them unfortunately, but. They start with Excel, and some even have Excel spreadsheets where they're recording all this information. Yeah, it's a more manual process. It's more prone to error, but they start with Excel. So, yeah, if you're a smaller company, I don't think you need to wait for a tool to start something. Yeah, And, you know, in, in so many ways, it's better to start with Excel just so you can get your process in order to see how how should you be recording these things so that when you do get the tool, you know how to configure, you know how to best use it for your own needs. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and yeah, it's a great place. It's a starting place. At least you're thinking about it. I'm trying to think at Exxon how this all worked. One thing at Exxon that was really useful is we had a um, an acronym dictionary that was like on our, oh, on, yeah. our, on our internet. And there was a lot of acronyms. So that was always good. But sometimes you get multiple definitions for the same acronym. So that was... I know. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, I mentioned I was going to tell you a story about the yeah, ASAP. Yeah, that's right? right. Yeah. So to me, and I think to a lot of people, ASAP or ASAP means as soon as possible, right? Oh, so yes. I remember this in this one meeting, um, this this happened to a colleague of mine, and they were like, you know, their director manager at the time, he was just one week in, in, in uh, the company. Uh, and the manager is like, okay, you know, you got to do this to me for me ASAP. So he... The guy thought, okay, it's as soon as possible. So, you know, hack and slash a solution next day. He provides the solution to uh, the director and the director was just fuming. It's like, I told you ASAP, which meant as simple as possible. Oh, wow. So like, you know what? I, I would have rather you spend like a week on it, but have given me a more simpler solution than something that was just quick and easy, but it does, doesn't quite cut it. It's more complex. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And yeah, you never know what those acronyms do mean. So you got to be careful. Um, it's it's also interesting just because it it seems so simple. It's like if you see an apple, we should just call it an apple, right? Mm -hmm. But somehow we as humans, I guess we make it not ASAP. We make it not as simple as possible. <laughs> and I, I don't know why we do that. 
And what is it with acronym anyways? Like it, sometimes I feel like I'm working at military institutions, at least in our organization. <laughs> yeah. There are so many acronyms all over. And it feels like we, we kind of ran out of the three letter acronyms that seems to be the, the preferred number of letters for acronyms. Yeah. yeah. And kind of moving into the four now. Yeah, I don't know what's, I guess we like to make things shorter. Yeah, it, it is interesting though, because it's it's like, we, yeah, if you see an apple, we should call it an apple. But it's so hard because I guess the things we're seeing is so much more abstract. Um, I'm working with a client right now. Um, and uh, we like, I'm basically coming up with some metrics, calculating some metrics, making some scripts that that does some really complicated queries and calculations and, and outputs them a simple to understand, you know, metric. And right now I'm even having a hard time with them sometimes because we don't really have an accepted name for these metrics. And so I might call it like, I'll just make something up. I might call it the, the, the Apple, the, the Apple metric, but they might call it like the pair metric. And so I'll be talking to them and I'll be like, okay, this is what's happening with the Apple metric. And they're like, what's that? Mm -hmm. And I have to like explain in paragraphs like, uh, like, Hey, this is what it is. Like, and they're like, right. Oh, you mean the pair metric? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure. But it's, it's just so hard. Cause it, it seems so simple, but we're just not on the same page sometimes when it comes to naming. Yeah. It's, it's only natural. And yeah, this definitely happens when you come from a different industry or just a different company, but even within the same company, but a different department. Yeah. Oh. There's, there's differences. A hundred percent. I mean, so after I worked at a small company, I went to work for Exxon Mobil, yeah. which is like one of the biggest companies in the world, right? And we had this issue all the time that in between, you know, different divisions. I mean, to be honest, the bigger problem we had at Exxon is we didn't know that data existed sometimes. Mm. Um, and if it did exist, we didn't know where it was necessarily. So that, that seems like a dumb problem to have too. It's like you spend all this time collecting and cleaning and storing data yeah. We, you don't make it accessible for people. Is that is that part of data governance as well? It should be. Yeah, and it, it's again, it's something that's spread worldwide. I think any organization has this issue. Data is being collected, data is being created, and they're still being held in different silos. And a department that might be needing that data, they don't even know it exists. And it, by the way, this is where a data catalog can help as well because one of the features that it has kind of crawls through all the different databases and indexes mm. their location. And, um, you know, some smart ones could use AI machine learning to kind of determine the metadata associated with it. So it will give you some context as well. Interesting. Very cool. I did see we had a comment here um, from Jose. Jose, I think was talking, when we were talking about acronyms. Isn't it easier just to speak complete words? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I know. We're we're starting to use emojis now, right? So some people are saying we're we're going back to the hieroglyphs. I kind of like that. What if we what if we name our metrics on our dashboards as just emojis? Like, oh yeah, the smiley face metric or something like that. <laughs> right. I'm I'm very guilty of like calling like using a sentence like the like the the amount of customers that entered the store to like the thing, the number of purchases they made, like that's sometimes what my default is, is like not to use a metric name and like yep. almost default to the equation, but that can get kind of complicated too. So I guess that's why it's easier sometimes to have an acronym for that. Cause that's like a mouthful. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. But, but then always put some sort of a legend or some sort of a yeah. glossary at the bottom or something. Um. Yeah. Okay. 
let's let's go back to so we kind of talked about you know a, we t- we covered business glossary, data dictionary, data catalog, um, and this is all part of of data governance. Um, and that's something that I think a term that is new to me. Um, mm. So what what's your definition of data governance? Yeah, to me, it's a discipline that provides um, the necessary policies, processes, standards, roles, and responsibilities that are really needed to ensure that data is managed as an asset. Okay. And how does it differ from data management? Because you use that word manage in the definition. So is data management the same as data governance? So here, so this one student of mine actually gave this great analogy, which I'm going to use. His name is uh, Reinier. I think he's from Netherlands. And he, you know, the way he sees it, and I completely agree, is that data management is sort of the game, if we take a sports analogy. And, you know, so the game, the activities, and mm-hmm. data g- governance are basically the game rules. Mm. Or if we take a cooking analogy, data governance okay. represents that recipe, and data management is the actual cooking uh, of, of the meal. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're very connected and in order to achieve one, you kind of do the other type of thing. Yeah. There are like two sides of the coin and data management from a DEMA perspective. So DEMA stands for the data management association international. Uh, they have this a book of knowledge on data management and to them, <clears throat> data management is they're, they're defining as the, the business function for um, planning, controlling and delivering data and information assets. And data management is comprised of 11 um, knowledge areas or components. And data, data governance is one of them. You know, the others are business intelligence, data warehousing, uh, data security, uh, data quality, um, and, and, and a few others. So data governance is one of them. But you can't really have one without the other either. You need to have those policies in place, right? You need to have those processes, those standards. You need to understand, well, who's doing who? Like in the kitchen, right? You you need to understand, well, who's the cook? Who's the main cook? Who's the sous chef? Otherwise, you know, they might be doing the wrong things or doing the same thing at the same time and uh, not working very efficient. If you don't know where all your spices are and if they're not labeled, and, uh, you know, how much of cayenne pepper you should put on into that uh, dish, then you might end up with, with something not very tasty. That's, that's actually really interesting because, um, so on the Data Career Podcast, we kind of have, you know, people on from different parts of the data industry. And, you know, most of what I cover is, is quite a bit, I mean, of, of course, it's, it's definitely touched by data management and data governance, but I, I do more I guess in that in that case, business intelligence or whatever. Like I do more like insights. You know, once the data is clean, stored, you know, prepared, what what type of insight can we pull out of it? So I'm I'm more of the the backside of that, I guess. Um, and that's typically who we have on the show. Um, but we've had we've had Scott Taylor on the show before, and he's he's also in the data governance page, and he also used a cooking analogy. Um, so I guess I guess data governance and cooking are just they're BFFs. They go well together. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess we could use uh, cooking, making cocktails, uh, and I've heard a lot of yeah interesting analogies. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. But the idea is you have to you know you got to have good ingredients, you got to have good recipes in order for good things to happen. You know, in order for t- food to taste good, and that's kind of the same with data. If you ever want to pull any insight out, 
you have to have good structures. You have to be able to know where your ingredients are, have quality ingredients. And that's what goes into making a good pie. You know, you can't enjoy the goodness of a pie without the maybe less flashy, the less interesting, the the less action packed, you know, parts of buying the ingredients and storing the ingredients. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, like another, another, uh, piece uh to this whole thing is that data governance committee which i think it's very important to to mention yeah committee or council or decision making group they're like that highest level executive um group that makes decisions on what should the organization focus their data um efforts on and i not maybe not necessarily from a data science bi point of view but more on well, okay what what foundations do we need to put in place so that bi so that data science teams could function better so they're representing the business and because you can focus on so many things even if you just take a look at the business glossary versus data catalog versus data dictionary well which one do you tackle first if you tackle all of them at the same time Still, what business terms should you start defining first? What are the people that should be involved? I mean, even just this, which is a very small scope of data governance, uh, it's a lot of effort. So yeah. this data governance group, committee, council, whatever we want to call it, it basically is representing the business. So that's where we have sort of the VPs of each department or business function um, come in and, and and vote and say, you know what, we should focus our efforts on this for the next month. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And there's such a big gap between data and the business sometimes that, you know, it, it can be like mm. an entire person's job to link the two. It could be multiple people's jobs. It could be this council's, you know, responsibility. Um, and it's data so valuable that it's worth, you know, investing in that to make sure that connection's strong. Um, and that, that actually brings me into my next point. You have this on your website, as well as you said it already once in the podcast, this phrase, treat data as an asset. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I use that a lot, don't I? Yes, I, I like it. I like it. It's catchy. And I, and I, think, I think it makes sense, but uh, I want to yeah. hear it straight from, straight from George. What does that mean? Yeah. So, well, first of all, an asset to me, it's something valuable. It's something that's useful, right? It's really anything that can be used to produce that positive, uh, positive value, right? Yeah. I agree. Um, like from a finance perspective, assets is representing value of ownership that can be converted into cash. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, data doesn't really appear on the ledger of, of um, you know, accounting ledger. It doesn't mm-hmm. appear on the books. And if it does, it's more of a liability. They're more equating it to, well, how much does it costing uh, is it costing us to store this data, to mm. manage it, to maintain it? But I think only in the past few, I don't know, five years or, or more, more companies have got on board to understand data is an asset, same as our physical assets are, same as our people are as employees, which... Arguably, they're the most important asset that an organization has. And let's let's try and equate its value by what's the potential of using this data to bring us something positive. The you know the Amazon CTO, um, what was his name, uh, Werner Werner Vogels. He said that data are really the core of value creation. 
And in his own words, he also mentioned that physical assets are kind of losing their significance in in business yeah. models. So I think we're we're slowly trying to see this this shift. And a lot of people and companies are saying, yeah, we, we do treat data as an asset, but then they're not really investing into it. They're not really managing it. They don't have a program, data governance program in place. They don't have a data management in place. Um, when they're saying, yeah, we want to treat data as an asset, they're maybe more referring to let's let's start and apply AI somehow or, uh, you know, analyze it without managing it. It's hard. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. I like the idea of if data is an asset, you know, why is it on why isn't it on our balance sheet, you know? Yeah. Why isn't it listed as, you know, it could be appreciating, it could be getting, you know, more useful with time, it could be getting more valuable with time. Um and I I like sometimes so with uh my analytics firm Snow Data Science, we end up doing a lot of uh a lot of consulting work for smaller companies a lot of the time, um, you know, companies that are maybe just getting started, you know, m- mid-level companies. Um, and a lot of the time they actually will, will come to me and they're like, Hey, I, they, they almost describe it as if they are like, they bought their grandma and grandpa's house in, you know, West Texas. And they're like, Hey, I'm sitting on a big oil. Well, they're like, I'm sitting on all this data. I don't even know what to do with it. And that's actually kind of an interesting phrase because they they know it potentially has worth. They see it potentially mm-hmm. as an asset, mm-hmm. um, but but maybe also they've been like you kind of said they haven't been taking care of it. It's been neglected a little bit. So you got to kind of whip it in shape and you know turn it into something that that actually is useful. Which which is really you know all this data management and data governance that we've been talking about. So if you want to treat data as an asset, you need to have data governance. True. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I got to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I, I like it. Um, it's, it is interesting though, because no one, okay, not no one, but less people, like let's take the oil field example, you know, yeah. um, more people are like interested in seeing oil come out of the ground and then selling the oil uh, than prepping the oil well. Mm. Like, like I feel like, like let's say there's, I don't know, some movie about this guy who becomes rich off of finding oil in their backyard. Right. I, I feel like the more interest, like the climax of the movie is going to be like when the oil first like comes out of the ground and like, you can sell it or something like that. Not like, not like the months before of like setting up your infrastructure and like getting the machines all prepped and I don't know, those types of things. So I often feel like data governance kind of, is overlooked because it's not as sexy as, you know, AI and machine yeah. learning, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not. But by the way, I don't know if you know the story of the, uh, you know, the data is the new oil phrase. No, I don't. I don't. I want to hear it. But you should also put data governance is sexy on a t-shirt too. Just, just, just <laughs> thinking. But go ahead. I want to hear the data is the new oil. Let's hear it. Which by the way, it's, it's controversial and I understand why it's, yeah. you know, we, we can't, it doesn't really equate but that's besides the point. But I think after I explained the story, I think we, we can see why uh, this, this phrase came to be. So Clive Humby, he was, well, he still is this mathematician that was hired by Tesco. Tesco is this like supermarket in the UK, kind of like Safeway, Walmart. And uh, he was basically hired to do something with their Tesco uh, membership. 
and the membership mm. is like every time as a customer you're scanning that membership when you're checking out it was recording data about yourself mm -hmm. you know what have you purchased and they hired uh clive to to kind of see you know can you do anything with this data and can you help us develop a new a better uh points reward system and he did like him and his wife they you know analyzed a bunch of data and by the way, they became millionaires because of this deal. Um, and as they were like analyzing this data and finding different patterns and different ways of segmenting it and trying to see, you know, how they could incentivize uh, their customers to purchase more and give them deals that would be more personalized based on their shopping patterns and all that, he realized that it's as if he struck oil. Hmm. So, you know, hence the data is the new oil type of a thing. Though really all he meant, he I don't think he really wanted to equate it like, oh, yeah, data is exactly like oil, but it's important and it's valuable the same way that oil is. And that, you know, data and similar to oil, it's fueling now a new economy. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. It's, it's very powerful. I I uh, I like the analogy. I like the story. And it, it's, you know, it's crazy that, they were, you know, had they not talked to this person, this Clive or whatever their name was, um, they may not have ever found, they could have been sitting on the oil and they would have never known, you know? I know. Yeah. That, that's crazy. That goes to show, I guess, the ROI on, an, or I guess, yeah, the return on investment can be can be pretty big sometimes. Um, we have Robert here watching. Robert Robinson, how you doing? Hey, Robert. Um, he also said, nobody wants the labor pains. They just want the baby. That was That was his takeaway. <laughs> uh, and I mean, that, yeah, that's another way to put it. No one wants to give birth, but everyone wants the baby, I guess. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's good. I think, I think you can throw that on a t-shirt too, that, uh, data governance is labor. AI is the baby or something like that. <laughs> um, well, that's good. I think you're doing, you're doing God's work out there doing data governance and teaching people about it because it doesn't, doesn't have the shine that ML does, but ML wouldn't have the shine without it, right? Like we just talked about, like all that intelligence, all that money that was made does not come without having organized, you know, data management. Um, oh, I so, think so. I think so. Hey, I, I think so too. I think it's really important. I mean, I know things at Exxon could have gone smoother uh, with a little bit more uh, structured data management. That's for sure. And maybe it was, and I'm just, I wasn't aware. Um, but well, I then guess it wasn't. If then it wasn't. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. If if that's that's yeah. If you're if you're people that are in the trenches doing the technical technical work, I guess have you know complaints. Then yeah, something might be going Something's wrong missing, upstairs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> sweet. Um, I think I think that's mostly what I wanted to talk about. We talked about how you got into data. We talked about yeah the definition of data governance, data management, business glossary. Data Dictionary, Treat Data as Asset. Now I want to just switch gears a little bit because the podcast name, I, I was pretty deliberate with this, uh, Data Career Podcast. So hmm. it's its a lot about data, but it's also a little bit about careers. Um, and you've obviously had a cool career. You do lights on data. You have YouTube. You have some courses. Um, you know, you're at the University of British Columbia. Why do you post on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, great question. You know, and... I wasn't posting years ago. I think I've only started when the pandemic started, actually. Uh, that's when I became a little bit more active. But it was to give back. 
especially when I when I started my journey in data governance, data management, there wasn't a lot of content out there. And sure, the internet was not at the same level of uh, saturation that it is right now. There was not so much information. But even so, through the books and everything, courses that I took, I found that it wasn't maybe as practical as I wanted it to be. So based on my learnings, based on the things that I've experienced and created myself, I wanted to start sharing uh, my own lessons learned, my own b- best practices and see, you know, let's put it out there and see if it's helping anybody, especially because I, I do work in the uh, education sector, uh, which um, it's, you know, nonprofit, at least here uh, where, where I'm working. So they don't have as much funding and mm. similar to to other organizations like government type organizations, mm. maybe some healthcare in different countries, too, where they're not as funded as the uh, private sector. I thought, let me try and put some information out there, some of the articles that I wrote, some of the templates that I've created, uh, videos to, again, bring the importance of data management, data governance to to the masses. And um, at the same time, it was also motivating me to keep on learning things or try to explain it better for myself and then to others. So, uh, yeah, it was a self-serving, but also trying to help people out and uh, it was great because then I met people like like yourself and like Scott Taylor and, you know, being part of this data community really broadened my horizons even more. But yeah, that was the reason. Yeah, just to um, help other, other people learn and uh, me learning in the process as well. Well, that's very noble of you to, to want to give back. And it is cool that the um, data community actually has like a community associated with it. Um, my background is originally in chemical engineering and I felt like, uh, chemical engineering kind of lacked a community. There wasn't many like forums, active forums. There wasn't Mm. much like content, I guess, online to digest. And I I hope that's changing. I know I have a couple of friends trying to, trying to make that change, but the data community does have a lot, you know, and it's, it is really useful. It is really open source. And so it's very cool that you're giving back. Um, because obviously, you know, I've been given so much. So I I think, I think that's really cool. Yeah, you have. And another thing, well, thank you. <laughs> um, I think another thing that that you said that was really interesting was you do it to help yourself learn a little bit better, I think is what you said. And maybe I, maybe I am not phrasing yeah. that the right way. And here, here's why. I think in order to explain things properly to somebody, or it's, it's only at that point when you try and see, well, you know what, maybe I don't understand it very well myself. So let me go back to this and and uh, study some more or uh, research some more and see how can I explain it so well that it's understood understandable from the first try. So especially when I'm creating the videos, I'm putting a lot of hours into it because I'm sort of revising the message and finding new ways of how I could explain uh, maybe a concept that seems simple initially, but then when I'm putting into words, doesn't seem as simple. Yeah. And I, I think that's so powerful. Um, you know, we have, um, I have my students inside of data career jumpstart and we talk once again, very, very intentional on the name data career. So it's also very career oriented. And I, I try, I try to preach a lot about posting on LinkedIn and a yeah. lot of them, you know, will push back and they'll say, well, I don't know that much about data, you know? And I'm like, that's the perfect chance to post on LinkedIn because mm-hmm when you're posting on LinkedIn and when you're teaching others is when you're actually learning the most. Um, and so it might feel, might feel, you know, kind of scary, kind of crazy, 
But you know, posting on LinkedIn is a great way to help others, great way to teach others, and it's a great way to cement your learning. Um, and I often think that, you know, let's go back to you know the movie analogy. Um, like let's let's go to like Batman or some superhero movie. The origin story of like where Batman came to be is very interesting versus just watching Batman, you know, punch dudes in the face. I think, I think we as humans like to see progress. We like to see people learn. And so sometimes people are like, oh, I'm going to post when I'm at, you know, when I've learned something, when I've, you know, I've gone from the bottom and now I'm here. Well, I think the most interesting part is actually probably the progression, you know, mm-hmm. I think people mm-hmm. miss on that. And so I think it's really cool that you're like, I post to, to teach others, but also to learn myself. Yeah. And something for your students, I think uh, they really undervalue what positive gain others would get from from yeah. them sharing their experience. I mean, so many people are still at the stage that they're learning the print hello world. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, share that because there will be people that are at that level that want to learn yes. from you and from what you're experiencing and what you're learning. And absolutely. You're 100% right. I um, A year ago, I shared a uh, kind of experiment I did with predicting the stock market with Python. Um, and a lot of people were really interested in it, right? And they, they wanted to learn about it. But a lot of them didn't know how to use Python, you know? And so it's like a lot of the content that I make, you know, a lot of these things that I share sometimes when it comes to like coding, you know, it's taken me a couple of years to get to the level I'm at. And it's hard to share with that with others sometimes because they're like, you know, five or six levels below, not, mm-hmm. not they're just, they're just mm-hmm. newer to it. Right. And so sometimes yeah. when you're new to it, you just want to see new stuff and stuff that you can replicate really easily. So that that's a great point. It's people sometimes think on a scale of one to 10, you have to be a 10, like in your space to like share about it. But the truth is you only have to be one step ahead, one point ahead of the next person below you. Right. Like, like you could be for instance, a four, like when it comes to like Python, but you can still post about Python because there's people who are, you know, one, two, and three who are below you who want, who want information. So I thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And that exercise that you mentioned, that's part of your course as well, right? That's one of the um, exercises that that's part of your course. I need, I need to make it. Well, yes, it is. It is. Yeah. So that's, that's it. I had, I had it free for about a year. Um, and now it's it's sucked into Data Career Jumpstart, it, the version two. So we do a lot a lot more with it. Nice. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's it's a fun little exercise. I'm I'm not retiring off of my stock bot, but it's it's fun <laughs> fun to mess around. Um, but that that's pretty much what I want to talk to you about today. I think we learned a lot about data governance. I know I did. Um, where can people find you, George? Where's the best place that people can find you and more of your content? Well, please check me out on LinkedIn, get in touch with me and uh, check out lightsomedata.com and uh, it's YouTube channel, but lightsomedata.com, LinkedIn, and you'll find me. Uh, yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. I, and also just for those who, who are in Data Career Jumpstart, uh, George was nice enough. We have, a, a, I think, a coupon for his courses. So he has a course on, let's see if I can remember them all. I know there's one on data storytelling. Right. Yeah. Data visualization data for visualization. data storytelling. A business glossary. Governance, one on business glossary. Correct. Yeah. And one on uh, data governance maturity models. So you can find those on lightsondata.com uh, or you can, if you're in Data Career Jumpstart, 
we have a discount section where we have a, we have a coupon. So if you guys want to check it out, definitely check it out. I think there's a lot to learn. I think I could learn a lot um, from taking one of these courses because I'm not the uh, the most well versed in data governance. So I I talk to people like George and, and rely on George to uh, teach me these things. So anything else you want to say on the way out, George? Well, I think you're doing an amazing job with uh, the Data thank Career you. Podcast. So thanks so much for having me on and, um, you know, putting the knowledge out there for people to learn from. Thanks, George. I really appreciate it. So definitely recommend everyone connecting with George. And George, thank you so much for, for joining this. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on LinkedIn soon, I'm sure. Thank you as well, Avery. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye.